0: Welcome to the Dick Schroeder podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. Simon Peter, a bondservant of an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, By the righteousness of god of our god and savior jesus christ grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge that's the true knowledge of god and of jesus our lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness to the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence for by these He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this reason also, apply all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance. Godliness and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness Christian love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the, kingdom of, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Okay, what's in this way? What is it talking about? It's knowing and living the character of God. This passage is talking about knowing God and knowing his character. It says everything is granted to us through what? The true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so as we get to know him and get to know his character and who he is, and as we implement those characteristics into our lives and we live according to the way he has lived and he is putting the example before us, then we will, says, make abundantly supplied our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. says, become partakers of his divine nature, verse 4. So. We escape the corruption that is in the world by lust, by becoming partakers of His nature, and that's what we want to uh, talk about. And remember, last week we spoke of that the true knowledge of Him. What kind of knowledge is it that we get to know God? That God's speaking of here. Anyone answer that for me? Is it is it intellectual knowledge? No heart knowledge is to know by personal encounter remember uh, when god spoke in genesis of of adam and eve he said that and adam knew his wife eve you see that intimate relationship described as what was a result of having abel you see and god uses the same word for to know in here as he does there and the, when you go back to the original language this is to know by personal encounter. And so it's an experiential knowledge. It's like the example of when it's uh, 40 below outside and you're froze and you come into a, a really warm building. Uh, do you get out to your thermometer and say, "ha it's warmer in here. No, you experience that. And so with God, we experience his character. We experience his love and his holiness. As we come into that intimate relationship with him that he desires us to have we as we look at the character of God it's, it's like a diamond you know a diamond has, has many facets many sides to it and as we look at the character of God and we're just isolating one thing we're not trying to say that God is, is all love or he's all holy but we are just looking at one side of the diamond and the character of God is like a perfect diamond with the different sides, and so we have uh, the different facets of the character of God and his love and his holiness and uh, his long-suffering, his justice, his mercy. All these make up the total, and so we don't want to get out of focus as we look at one part of his character because uh, God is totally love and he's totally just and he's totally merciful all at the same time. And sometimes we can't hardly comprehend how those all can fit together. But that's just how great uh, God is and how exceedingly uh, far above us he is in some ways. But he yet is, is as perfect as he is and as holy as he is, yet he's knowable. He's not a God that is afar off, see, but he's a God that we can know. And he has made us in his image. You see, we have a personality. We have a character just like God does, and God wants to perfect that character by having his interaction of relationship that he's created us to have. Remember in A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, one statement that he said was, they who do not know God make him into a God of their own fancy. You see, when we don't really understand God, we try to make him into something that will fit our lifestyle will fit um the way we think, but God doesn't want us to change him to fit us, but He wants us to change to fit him. He wants us to come into that true knowledge of him. You see, I think um there's been no character assassination assassination as um, deep <laughs> as they have in the character of God, because people do not know God. It says in Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so Hosea, and so God desires us to come into that true knowledge of him and not some kind of God that we make up ourselves. It's so very, very important that we think right thoughts about God. You see, because the first thing that comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. That's the most important thing about you. And if you have never experienced the love of God and how much he really loves us, then you're going to have wrong thoughts when you think about him. You're going to think of him, think of him as an ogre or, or something less than desirable. And God is altogether desirable, altogether lovely. And he just longs for us to come and, and get to know him as he really is. And he's so, worth, he's so worthy of our, our getting to know him. And as we get to know God, God writes his law upon our heart that we can uh, not be uh, bound to set of rules and to be in some kind of a cold relationship. But he wants to write his law upon our hearts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, you are letters read of all men. You see, we are living epistles. You see, we have, we have epistles uh, that Paul and Peter and John wrote. But it says that you are living epistles, known and read by all men. And it's so important that we know God and that we make him known. And that only is possible as we um, come into that relationship where his character is being worked into us. Luke 10, uh, 25 is talking about the guy that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you remember how Jesus named off the things, but he left one thing out and that was uh, that you should have no other gods before him because you see, that was the man's problem because he had another God before him. And and God knew that that would take away from his love towards God. And God wanted him to be completely and totally for him and have nothing in between. In Matthew 23, 23 talks about the Pharisees and Jesus was rebuking them. He says, you guys, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is full of uh, ugliness, and it's not clean at all. That doesn't make sense. If you're going to drink something out of a cup, you want the inside clean where the liquid would touch it. You see, when God's character is worked in us, then it works from the inside out. And he cleanses our heart, and then he he gets the other parts of our life uh, in accordance with where our heart is at. Ephesians 2, uh, maybe we could turn there. Ephesians 2, in uh, verse 8, <clears throat> it says, for, grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were God's handiwork, and God is working in us and through us, and he wants to mold us and shape us. You know, it says that, that we are the clay and that he is the potter, and he wants to mold us and, and make us right. And so here it says we are his workmanship, and God wants to design in you a little Jesus, as it were. And he wants you to be that representation of Jesus because, you know, Jesus has went back and his only physical representation is us now. And so we need to know God and his character. We need to have it known within us and that we're living that character. That's uh, all in a form of review. Romans 8, 28, 29, you could put down there as well. It says, for all For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, he wants us to become conformed. In that we would be the first of many as we are conformed and we will be that witness and we will reach out to others because people will see our lives father i just thank you tonight that, that that's absolutely true that you are ours in the sense that you have redeemed us and you have brought us into your inheritance lord and that and that we are yours lord and father i just thank you that You're the one that initiated that because we wouldn't dare even think about becoming a friend of God unless you initiated that and you wanted us to be your friend and you wanted us to know us, even like Jill said, that we would come to you and seek after you even as a friend, Lord. And Father, I pray that especially tonight, Lord, as we consider the aspect of your character, which is love, that, Lord, that... It would break through the the you know, false images in our minds and the cliches that we say, Father, and that, Lord, it would penetrate deep into our heart, into our spirit, Father. I pray tonight that there would be a, just a new revelation, a new understanding of the love of God. Lord, I just pray, Lord, just for your, your anointing. I pray that your Holy Spirit would would anoint the words that I would share tonight, Lord. Just confess, Father, that I need you tonight, Lord, and without your spirit that these words are just just words and that's all there is to it. But, Father, I know that you want to really speak to our hearts tonight and want us to come to understand your love because it's such an important part of your character. I just ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. We could say that God's total purpose in creation is intimate, loving relationship. I think that is the very foremost and basic thing: is that God created us that He might have relationship with us, that He might have intimate, loving relationship with each and one, each and every one of the people that He created. Just a little um, poem that's off the top of the the sheet here says, everything God has done, everything he has created, everything he has planned, every miracle, every answer to prayer has been done to promote intimate, pure relationship with the beings he created like himself. That's a pretty powerful statement to say that, isn't it? I mean, that is really putting God in a corner and... Uh, narrowing down his purpose. But I really believe that that is true, that um, the only reason that God has created us is not so that he could uh, have fun watching us, but that he would be able to have a relationship with us and that would be a two-way street and that we would uh, acknowledge and worship him, that he would be able to bless and to talk and speak with us as well. Like I said before, faith is built in who God is. And faith is in God's character. And that's why when we understand the love of God, it will revolutionize our life. Because if I know without a shadow of a doubt, without even um, so much as a a question in my mind, that God is absolutely for me, and that he is the most powerful and sovereign being in all the universe— and he can control every situation, then I can be at total peace knowing that when I am doing the Lord's will to the best of my knowledge, that I have nothing to fear. Isn't that right? If God, who is the most loving being in all the universe, then I have nothing to fear. I have to read something out of A.W. Tozer's book called The Knowledge of the Holy. Let's see here. Very good chapter on the love of God in here. I really highly recommend you guys to, to read this. Uh, maybe sometime next week if you can get a hold of the book. But it says here, We do not know, and we may never know what love is, but we can know how it manifests itself, and that is enough for us here. First we see it showing itself as goodwill. Love wills the good of all and never wills harm or evil to any. Okay, so love is willing the highest good. To sum that up, it says, this explains the words of the Apostle John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Fear is the painful emotion that arises at the thought that we may be harmed or made to suffer. Can you identify with that? You're standing on top of a 30-foot scaffolding and you have a sensation you're going to fall. (laughs) You're afraid you're going to be harmed and have to suffer, (laughs) mostly suffer. This fear persists while we are the subject to the will of someone who does not desire our well-being. Did you catch that? We have fear when we are subject to a person who does not regard our well-being as something that he wants to carry out. So, therefore, the moment we come under the protection of one of goodwill, fear is cast out. See, when we're in the arms, in, in a place of being completely controlled by someone who absolutely loves us, then there's no more fear, is there? Now, can you imagine uh, you're about four years old, and I had a reputation of this, of kind of daydreaming, and pretty soon the person that I was following. Wasn't my mom anymore, and I was going in a completely different direction. I <laughs> look around, whoa! And all of a sudden, you have a fear because see, you are no longer in the protection of someone who has your best interests in mind. Now, probably those people would want to have you find your mother as much as you, but you don't know that, <laughs> and you don't trust them because you don't know them. And so here you are walking around trying to find your mom, and there's panic and fear, and depending on what your personality is like. From one extreme, maybe you don't care, to another person i would be petrified. But the minute you find your mom and you grasp hold of her hand, instant relief. And so the thing is, is that if we understand God's love, the known goodwill of the Father God is gonna say, hey, I can trust you God with this, with this situation, with this circumstance, and also in that that peace of God that passes all understanding is going to be able to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So it's so important that we understand and know the will of God. Just a couple of things about love is that first of all, I could say all character or moral attributes, which love is one. Uh, knowing God, or I mean the holiness of God uh, and the mercy of God. And you can list on these are moral attributes or a part of God's character. And they are the product of God's choice. They are a product of God's choice. God chooses to love. Okay? God is not the essence of love. And there's been very much misinterpretation in the scriptures when John wrote that, he says, God is love. He was not equating God with love and love with God, but he was saying that God is the, um, well, you could say maybe the utopia, the fulfillment of what we understand love to be. For instance, um, someone who is really kind or just a real generous person, um, you might even, uh, probably not in our vernacular, I mean, more of an old English say. He is um, kindness itself. You're not, you're not uh, equating the two as kindness is that person, that person is kindness, but he has fulfilled it in a tremendous way. And so God has fulfilled love, and we understand love because God loves us. But there's a difference because if we say that God is love and love is God, then that's all God is. And that's a complete distortion because God is more than just love. He has all the other facets of his character as well. Just as a diamond has so many facets, but yet it's all the same diamond. So God has just so many facets to him. And as you look at each side, there's a little different glimpse of God as we see his holiness. But yet God is in total unity with himself. He doesn't contradict one characteristic to act in another. God's anger does not violate his love. And God's holiness doesn't violate his mercy. So they all fit together, and God always acts as, always acts according to truth. Love is, as we already mentioned, willing the highest good for another moral being. Written down in here. Love is willing the highest good for another moral being. Another definition of love is: love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another person's needs. Do you catch that? love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another person's needs. There's only one way that a person could love you in that way, and that is. If he knew you intimately. For instance, George Washington could say that he loved someone, maybe a private in the army. He says, I love that person. But unless he really knew that person, he couldn't really love them to the fullest extent, according to this, because he would not know what their needs were, the accurate estimate. So he would have to understand that person is, um, what his emotional makeup was. He'd need to know what his physical needs were. And so really God is the only one that can love us perfectly, isn't it? Because God knows us perfectly. And so the first um, qualification for one to be a perfect lover in the sense that we think of God as loving us perfectly is that they have to know us and that comes through relationship second of all the adequate supply Now, can you think of any being in all the universe that has a more adequate supply to fulfill our needs as God would see God knows absolutely perfectly what we need and he has omnipotent No end to supply that need. He has no end to to that, that resource. The love of God is one of the greatest realities of the universe. In every fiber of his creation, the quality of love is inscribed. All of his infinite power, resources, and wisdom are used for the ultimate good of every being in the universe imagine that? Without a, a miss anywhere, God uses all of his resources, wisdom, his insight to, to love us completely, to love us fully. Wow, what a God. What a God. It's just almost incomprehensible to think of that. So we look at God and see that he knows how to love us, and he doesn't love us unwisely says with, with all of his wisdom, he loves us. So God deals with us with our ultimate good in mind. Sometimes we'll look and we'll see um, results of prayer, maybe. We'll pray and say, God, and we'll ask him something. And then a few days later, we'll see the results of that prayer. And sometimes it isn't an answer directly. It's an answer, but it's not the kind of answer that we ask for. Does that mean that God loves us any less. Does that mean that? No, it means that God loves us wisely and he knows what our ultimate need is and he knows how to fulfill that in the very best way. And so practically you guys we need when we pray and when we're under condemnation and Satan is giving us a hard time to throw out to throw out the idea that somehow God loves us a little less. Well, maybe if I wouldn't have did what I did Friday night, then God would have answered differently. You see, and somehow we we put ourselves less in God's eyes. We think that somehow God qualified his love. His love is totally unconditional, and he loves us perfectly. We see that love is a, a choice and not a feeling, God does not just react out of emotional impulse, but God is, is acting out and making choices for ultimate good. He's loving us in the very best way we can. We could say that God's love story is, is in the Bible, and that the Bible is, is a description of God's love towards us and, and describes in, in various detail how God has, has brought um, Uh, natural disaster as well as as natural abundance and he's he's brought on uh, enemies as well as um, um, allies to work in the nation of Israel to work in individuals, people's lives and we can just look at it and and if you look at it in the sense that God is willing the ultimate good you can just see over and over again God wooed and he tried to bring back and he, how he tried to get people's attention so that they might be the maximum that God really desired them to be. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 24. There isn't a lot that is written about God before the creation. But I think we can safely assume that the Trinity—God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit—lived in absolute perfect unity from eternity past. There was the uh, the epitome, the very ultimate example of what love relationship is all about, is we find in the Trinity—a perfect family where there was. There was no argument. There was no um, disagreements. Um, Contrary to popular belief, they did not vote two to one to send Jesus to the cross. It was total submission and total love for one another. And there was never a um, self-seeking spirit among them, but they were always seeking for the good of one another. I believe that it was out of that that God created man. It wasn't out of God's need that he was lonely and that he needed somebody else. It was out of God's love and desire that he might share intimate, loving relationship. Because it's, it's the most beautiful thing, the most valuable thing that we can get our, our hands on is, is relationship that's based in, in God's truth. And so God, knowing what it meant to be loved perfectly and to love He wanted to extend that to his family. So look at Genesis 1 and verse 24. So then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth. And every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be good for you and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. It wasn't just eh, not bad first time. It was it was excellent, it was very good, and God was pleased. We notice that, that God created man in his own image. And basically I believe that is that God created us with with a mind, will and emotions, that we could reason. Even as God reasoned, it says in Isaiah, "Come, let us reason together, that we could make our own choice, and that we could decide." And in in the Gospels, of, I believe it's John, Jesus reaffirmed that. And when the Pharisees were questioning him about being God, he said, "Aren't you all gods? If you were to look at that, what it's saying is that uh, you have the ability to choose." the ability to create a new decision. We're very finite in the sense that we have nowhere compared or near or anything like what God has and that he can speak things that are physical and all kinds of things into existence. But God has given us the ability to make a decision. We're completely free in that. God has given us emotions that we we could rejoice and we could be glad, we could be sad and we could cry. And it speaks of God in the same line, that God rejoices over us and that uh, God was sorrowful uh, as his people would turn away from him. And so I believe that's the the way that we're like God. And that's what the essence of having personal relationship is based on that, having personality. Because uh, just like it's very hard to have a personal relationship with a rock, you know, because there's no... essence of love there that can be communicated. There's no personality at all. So God created this in a way that we can respond to him and that we could know him. We see that in creating man, that God risked himself because in giving man a free choice, there had to be the choice of loving or not loving. For instance, um, that if a person would choose to love you, then that would you'd be glad about that and you'd want them to be your friend. But if they were forced to love you, then it would, there would be no uh, really sharing and caring among you because there was no valid choice that was really there that would draw you and want you to come to that person. And so with God, he gave man the choice whether he wanted to, to serve him and to worship him for who he was Or to reject him and go to his own way. Even though God had created him, and God had breathed life into man, he still was free as a bird. He let him go. said, the choice is yours. God, in all his glory, became completely vulnerable so that man could cause great joy or unspeakable unspeakable grief to the heart of God. Do you you see that as, as God... He risked his love. You see, it was so nice, the three, you know. It was, it, was just, it was just nice. But yet he said, I just want there to be more. I want other people to enjoy this. And it seems to me that God must have thought, maybe it was a microsecond, because God thinks pretty fast. But he must have thought and contemplated for an instant of what it would have been like if man would reject him. But he said, No, it's worth it. It's worth it because of the good things that come out if man will serve me. It's worth the risk. Genesis 3 and in verse 8, we see that God coming to man after man, Adam, had decided that there must be a better way. In Genesis 3, 8, we see, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And then God asked him, and he said, says, why? Why have you wanted to hide yourself? And of course, God knew because God's seen the whole thing, but he was bringing that home to Adam. Why? And that's such an incredible thing to think about, why man would reject the love of God. It's absolutely pure and absolutely um, without selfish ambition whatsoever. In uh, this book, Angels on Assignment, a guy by the name of Roland Buck who was a pastor in Idaho had uh, more than 15 encounters with an angel with a couple of them in fact and uh, I think to sum up he said in here just summing up of all the visitations of the angels uh, they could say that God was saying that I care I care about your families I care about your personal life and I I love you so much I really care about that and there was a story about let me read this verse in page 20 the angel was talking to him and says this unique conversation lasted for about two solid hours as the angel shared magnificent truths from the word of God with me he discussed the unfolding plan of God for the entire world and brought me warm feelings from God's own heart that's the concern he had for people. His love for people is so great. He had a lot more in, he is a lot more interested in them than in he is in procedure. He loves people. See that really gives you understanding that God is not just trying to, to get his program finished. He's not just trying to, to wrap things up and to, to get things over so that he could come back or so he could fulfill his, his plan. But God is just so caring for people, just moment by moment. He just wants people to come to know him. He wants the people that know him to know him better and to really understand what the relationship is that he really desired to have. Another experience that um, Pastor Buck had was, the Lord spoke to him that he was to go to the Philippines. And uh, as he was waiting in the airport, uh, not really knowing what God had in store over there, but the Lord just assured him that he would bring the people across this path that that he wanted him to, to meet and to talk to. And so he sat down in, in the plane, and uh, this guy, this Filipino guy, came and sat beside him, and uh, he said, you're uh, Serrano, right? <laughs> because the Lord had always given him the name of this guy. He got up and he jumped up and went to another seat. You know, he didn't want to, <laughs> to sit with this guy who must be a psychic or something. So he got to Hawaii and and there was a lot more people came on the plane and this guy had to come back to his original seat because the plane was full. And uh, the guy was kind of nervous, you know, so he he wanted to set him off right away and let him know what was happening. So he just told him straight out. He just said well, the reason I knew your name was because an angel of the Lord came to me and told me what your name was. And he really cares about you. And he went on to share for the next few hours. It takes 10 hours to get to the Philippines with so a lot of time. And just unfolded that God cared about him individually. And he was uh, a Catholic from from the Philippines. And it was just completely foreign to him. And he said, well, I go and I talk to the priest, and the priest talks to God, but how does he know me? You know, Where is the connection here? And he shared with him that God wants personal relationship, and that he knows every person intimately, and he, and he wants to know him better, and that he's asking him to, to turn his life over. And that guy just sitting there and just wept says, but how could God know me? And that's such a thing that we need to understand, that God knows us. He knows our middle name. He knows our shoe size. He knows everything about us. He knows the innermost thoughts about us. And he really desires to have us respond to him in the same way. We see that God is is not as we would possibly imagine him to be before we knew him, as being an immense force, as just someone who uh, pulled the knobs and turned the gears and just kept things going. He's not just a force with some kind of impersonal, haphazard control of the universe. But God is a warm and a sensitive being who has emotions, who has a will, who has um, a mind to reason. And he desires that out of that, that we could be able to relate to him and to know him. See, God is not just the image in the sky of Holly's of plan. I know I'm just repeating myself. But I just want you to really hear this because it's so important that God knows us individually. He knows us uniquely to, to the kind of person that we are. God does not just love the masses. He does not just love the world. But he loves people. He loves individuals. Ezekiel chapter 6 and verse 9 says, I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts, which turned away from me, and by their eyes, which played the harlot after their idols. And they will loathe themsel- themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed for all of their abominations. See, God is, is saying here, says, not only am I grieved, that they've gone away from me, but they are going to hate themselves because as they go away from me, they'll destroy themselves. And so God is is not in the selfish ambition, but it's because God desires the very best for each person. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29 says, I don't know what it says. Let's look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. You see, God isn't just feeling sorry for himself but he says that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. I think a good illustration of this is if you're riding in an airplane say it's a 747 is everybody ridden in a a commercial airliner? Anybody has it? Haven't? A few people. Well, it's probably not that much difference than, than a bus, but it's just a little bit higher class in a way, and they do a little bit more to pamper you and to serve you. And you're in this, this plane, depending on the airline. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's shaking their head over there. With Filipino Airlines, man, it was – came in, and it was hot and the humidity was really high, and it came into a nice air-conditioned plane. First thing, the stewards came over and brought you a cool washcloth, not a paper on a cloth, (laughs) and you could wipe your face with it, and she brought you a cold drink of water, and you just felt like first class. I mean, it was just super neat in the plane, and they were just waiting on you hand and foot, which is typical of the Filipinos. But you're on Filipino Airlines, and you're sitting there, and they've done absolutely everything to see for your comfort. They have... Possibly a movie to be able to watch, or they have um, magazines and beverages, food, just everything that you possibly would need or want while you're there on the plane. And they've they made sure that you feel comfortable because they want you to fly Filipino Airlines the next time you go that way. And you're sitting there and all of a sudden you think, well, I wonder if that pilot really knows what he's doing. You know, I've seen a globe before, and I know the where the world kind of goes. I need to go about kind of east to get back to the States. So you go up there and say, excuse me, stewards, uh, I need to go in the cockpit here. And you break in there and you say, hey, scoot over, I'm taking over. As these sessions were recorded on cassette tape, some content might have been lost when the cassette was flipped over. Kind of east to get back to the States. So... You go up there and say, excuse me, stewards, uh, I need to go in the cockpit here, and you break in there, and you say, hey, scoot over, I'm taking over, and probably have a weapon in your hand, because they wouldn't be that negotiable at that point, and uh, tell the co-pilot to go, go in your seat, and you'll take over, tell the co-pilot to, to go join him, and you get in there, you know, this for? for, <laughs> start experimenting, pulling levers and knobs, and whoops, killed an engine, Get <laughs> back on. You know, it wouldn't be real long when about 99, nine ten percent of the people in the world would crash that plane. They'd run into a mountain if they didn't run out fuel before they finally had to try to get a thing down. But there's just no way with the knowledge and understanding that most of us have, at least in this room, that we could fly a 747 or a big commercial airline like that. And in, in a lot of the same ways, God in creating man. Only God did it in the absolute first class with absolutely nothing held back to give us a place to live and be the most comfortable and most beautiful. Have you ever thought about why God made deciduous trees and trees with pine needles and so many kinds of leaves and made different kinds of grasses? I mean, wouldn't it have been just a lot easier to mass-produce a lot of the same kind of grass. <laughs> just so many things that God just put intricate detail into. And just the, the incredible, just incredible beauties that we see. You know, even in Yellowstone Park and just around the mountains as the snow comes down and every flake is unique, there's not one that's the same. And you can just go on and on and on about the glories of the universe that God created That we might have absolutely the most comfortable and beautiful place to live. And he provided for our emotional needs and loved us in every way. And yet we said, well, maybe there's a better way. Maybe I can do it myself. rebellion is when we try to run our lives our own way. And we say, God, well, you knew about some people, but God, you really don't know what's best for me. And I really understand it more than you do. And we take over. It's the most foolish and ignorant and stupid thing in all the world. But yet we do it. And we say, God, I really know how to do it better. And we don't know His love. We don't trust His love. We don't rest in His love. The consequences of sin and the consequences with Adam were separation and alienation from God and His fellow man. You see, because when you decide, when any one person decides that they can do it better than God can do it, it's alienation. We'll go in different directions than God is. You see, so, so God in his love, okay, what does it say in Romans 5 May Anybody say that for me? So while we're yet sinners, Christ commended his love towards us. Let's cut that backwards. Christ commanded His love towards us while we were yet sinners. He He gave His love. He extended His love towards us. It wasn't he said, "Well, if you to shape up, you know, we'll see what we can do to patch things up here." But God initiated it. God went the tenth mile. Not just a second. But he just kept on going. He kept on pursuing us. He says, "I need to find a way." And so that is what happened in John three sixteen says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so that was God's answer. That's God's way of restoring himself in the relationship with, him, with the ones he created. You see, sometimes you think that, that God is trying to get even. And that God was somehow vindictive. And that Jesus was kind of standing in the gaps, saying, Oh God, don't don't get him. I'll go and no, it wasn't that way. God initiated it. And it was so that we would understand how much sin costs, and the consequence of sin. And we would see the love of God. And that's what God did to restore that relationship. Let's look at Ephesians chapter one. We've been studying this in Maranatha, and I was reading ahead some time back, and the we Lord just really quickened this passage to me. Oh, wow, it just really revealed again the love of God to me. Um, starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him, okay? He chose us. We didn't choose Him, He chose us. He initiated the love relationship before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to the adoption of sons, to Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Like that phrase? According to the kind intention of his will. See, God had had no um, thoughts that were anything but love towards us. There was no ulterior motives. There was no um, say, well, if I can just kind of woo him back, then I can use him. No, that wasn't it. But, it, but all of God's plan was according to the kind intention of his will. Starts off, in love, he did that according to the kind intention of his will. Okay? It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. That's what's neat about God. He doesn't measure things out. You know, he doesn't say, cup for you, cup for you. He says he just freely manifested. He just gave, running and overrunning his grace that we might come back to him. In him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trans, trans, our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That's a neat word too, which he lavished upon us. Now you can just see somebody, um, you're going to uh their house for dinner, and she's a, the, you know, the picture in your mind is a rather plump cook, and she just loves to cook, you know, and she just, just makes the most delicious meal, she says, oh, you look like a hungry boy, and she just keeps on and on, you know, and say, okay, okay, <laughs> but she just, just wants to do it, she just lavishes upon it, and that's how God, he just lavishes his grace, you know, and say, okay, God, thanks, and he just wants to give it abundantly to us. There's not any kind of withholding or, or stinginess at all with God, but he lavishes his grace upon us. We come back to him say, Lord, I did it again. He says, did what again? You know, he says, I've forgotten all the past. As far as I'm concerned, this is the first time you've come to me. And he just freely without end, I forgive you, I forgive you. And he so much desires that we would change. And he so wants us to to not walk in that way, but yet he just Lavishes forgiveness, lavishes his grace upon us. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. You see? He's let us know what it's all about, because it's not from any kind of evil motive, but it's according to the kind intention of His will with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, works all things to the counsel of his will. You see, So God's plan and desire is that we might know him because God just gets excited when we are blessed and when we are prospered and it says that when one person comes to the saving knowledge of jesus one person repents says that all hell all heaven is a celebration there's re- there's joy and there's rejoicing see it's not just a plan but god is excited about us individually okay let's see here let me just look up well, uh, Pastor Buck was speaking to the angels. He gave him seven priorities that God has. i like to just read one of them. One of them is called fellowship and communion. It's one of the priorities that God was getting across to Pastor Buck. He says, he wants us to be able to have rich and wonderful communion with him. He is accomplishing this through his word and by his spirit. God wants to fellowship with you. He wants you to enjoy an awareness of his presence every day. God not only wants believers to come closer to him, he wants those who are far away from him to come too. He has said that if you could call to him from wherever you are, from the very Father's point of creation, he would remove all distance between you and him. God wants you he is not looking for reasons to disown you, but He's looking for reasons to help you and to bring you closer to Himself. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Though they be as red like crimson, they should be as wool. And that was what, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, that last verse there. So God is, is making that a priority and wanting to know us. John fifteen and thirty one says, No greater love has any man except this that he lay down his life for a friend. And that again is describing what God did through through Jesus and dying on the cross. Like I said before, it's not a case of the Father wanting to get even and being vindictive, and Jesus saying, Oh, wait a minute, I'll stand in the way. But it says that Jesus was the exact representation. It's in Hebrews chapter 1 in verse 1. That Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. And it says in John that I will no longer, Jesus said, I will no longer ask the Father of you or for you, but you yourself will ask the Father because the Father himself loves you. See? So the, the Father's heart towards us is just the same as Jesus's is. Five uh, which is the one that you just said for um um giving your life for somebody else is something that you. that's um uh, John fifteen thirty one. There's no John fifteen mm. <laughs> thirty one. John thirteen thirty one. Is that right, dude? No, I think it's 1513. 1513. <laughs> Speak. <laughs> yes, John, 1513. <laughs> I got my... Something wrong with the typewriter. <laughs> Stop using that Mormon Bible. Mm-hmm. Stop using that Mormon Bible. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I Maybe mean, there's something wrong. Amen. <laughs> John 16, verse 26 and 27 is where it says, The Father Himself loves you. Romans 5, 5 says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. There's a flowing of God's love towards us. Want <clears throat> us look at Hosea. Never really looked that closely at Hosea until a year or two ago, and uh, as I was preparing for this class, Dick had suggested that I look through this and really meditate on it. And, well, it's really um, made me see the love of God in just a new aspect, and really brought some real revelation to my to my heart about about God's love through Hosea. It says in verse 1 of chapter 1, The Lord, the word of the Lord, which came to Hosea, the son of Buri, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days Jeroboam, the sons of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry, for the land commits fragrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. And so Gomer was the wife that Hosea found. And we'll see that through the book of Hosea here, that he understood God's heart through the things that he went through with Gomer. He understood how God's heart was grieved and how he longed, to love his people, yet his people would spurn his love. And so it happened with Gomer here? And so we see here that, um, verse 3, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jezreel for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it will come about in that day that I will break the bow of the Israel of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And Jezreel, the name, means God's son or right choice. And that was their first son, and that was by Hosea. And then verse six is then she conceived again, and gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said to him, "Name her Loharama, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I should ever forgive them." And Loharama means uh, not favored or not able to obtain compassion, because Hosea didn't believe that that Loharama was was his child, but that um, she had been playing the harlot with him, and she had been going around to other lovers. And so that was God's heart was being broken, even as Israel was was seeking other idols and seeking other gods and other places, and coming back to Him. And then, in verse seven, it says, "But I will have compassion on the house of Judah, and deliver them by the Lord the God, and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, of horses, or horsemen." And she weaned Oherama, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, "Name him." Noami for you are not my people and I'm not your God. and the the name Mohoraami means not my son. And so uh, you can imagine how Hosea had felt that that here the the one that that he really loved, and you have to understand that it was not just a mock wedding or something. It was not just a kind of a setup kind of a deal, but Hosea really loved Gomer. And he had really taken her into himself. And he wasn't just playing along with something, but his heart was really grieved. And we'll really see that and really understand that as we uh, read on through this. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 2 says, Say to your brothers, Ami, this is Loami, and to your sisters, Rohama, contend with your mother, contend. For she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. And let her put away her harlotry from her, and her harlot and adultery from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and expose her on the day when she was born, I will also make her like a wilderness, make make her like a desert land, and slay her with thirst. Also, I will have no compassion on her children because they are children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot; she has conceived them, and she has acted shamefully. For she has said, "I will go after my lovers, who gave me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink." And you read that and you think, "Wow, I mean, that's pretty harsh." You know, if, you know, if you really loved her, why would he say something like that? And why would he encourage her children? To go and rebuke her. But you see, it's very representative of the way God deals with us, is that when we reject him, he will not change the rules and say, well, it's okay, you know. But God holds to his truth, absolutely. But he will show us what the separation really means. And he will not keep supporting us in our sin. But he will withdraw his presence from us at times and will feel the anguish of being away from God. And so we'll come back to truth. God doesn't go away to uh, bless us in our falsehood. But he woos us back by, by withdrawing his presence so that we'll come back and we'll realize that it's God that's my real source. And that's why she was saying, and she was deceived, and so with us sometimes, she says i will go to my lovers where i receive my food and my bread see you know, it wasn't true because hosea was the one that was supporting her and giving her a uh, food and a place to live and yet she was thinking that her lovers were it says on it says therefore behold verse 6 i will hedge up her way with thorns and i will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths and she will pursue her lovers But she will not overtake them, and she will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it is better for me then than now. You see how God woos us back. We understand and say, hey, it was better for me when I was with God than now, because we are alienated from his love. And so Hosea was alienating her from his love, letting her understand the bitterness of harlotry and of adultery verse 8 says for she does not know that it was i who gave her the grain the new wine and the oil and lavished on her silver and gold which they used for bale. therefore i will take back my grain the harvest time and my new wine in its season i will also take back my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness and then i will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers no one will rescue her out of my hand I will also put an end to her gaiety, her feasts, her new moons, and her sabbaths, and all her festival assemblies, and I will destroy her vines and fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages which my lovers have given me, and I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field will devour them, and I will punish her for the days of the Baals, when she used to offer sacrifices to them, adorn herself with her earrings and jewelry, and follow her lovers. So that she forgot me, declares the Lord. And, and then it goes back and says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and will bring her into the wilderness and I will speak kindly to her. You know, it says that it's the kindness of God, or it's the goodness of God, that leads us to repentance. And you know, so many times I've seen that true when I will be doing my own thing in something, and I will just kind of put God off. I say, well, God, you know, and I'll make excuses, and I'll, and then God, he'll just continue sometimes just to bless. Because, see, God knows our hearts, and he knows what's best for us, and he loves us in wisdom. And he would give us something that we're just really not expecting. May say, God, you're so good. And it just breaks your heart, you know, and you say, oh, Lord, why did I do that? And it just brings us back to him. And so that's what the Lord says here, it says, after I have, I've, I've shown you what's like and I've I alienated you, it says, therefore, behold, I will allure you and bring her into the wilderness and speak kindness to her. Then I will give her vineyards from, from there in the valley of Acre at the door of hope. And she will sing there in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt, and it, it will come about in that day, declares the Lord. That you will call me Isha and no longer call me Bali, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, so that they will be not so they will be mentioned by their names no more. In that day, I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land, and I will make them lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And then you will know the Lord. And betroth means to, to be engaged to or to marry. And so God is saying, I will again bring you back into intimate relationship with me. And you think of marriage as um, something so so sacred and so neat, but yet you think of someone being on the same level. Do you know what I mean by that? When you would marry someone, you become one, and there's there would not be any kind of place for you speaking to your hu- husband, if you were a wife, say, Mr. President, if he was a president of the United States. And there's just a neat place. It just breaks down all those barriers. And there's there's a oneness, and there's a um, commonness that is all of a sudden shared. And yet, God says of us, he "says I will betroth you to me forever in kindness." You know, it's not like God had to is saying, "Well, I'll have to stoop down to it," but He says, "I will rejoice in bringing you," and He just accepts us just like we are, and it just it just amazes me. To think that's God's heart is towards us, and you look at yourself and you, our own frailties and our own uh, misconceptions, and yet God just totally accepts us and He totally identifies us, and that uh, we could walk down the street with God, as it were, and somebody would say to Him, you know, uh, you know that guy? He said, yeah, he's my friend. You know, He just immediately responds, Yeah, he's my friend, and He would say, Oh, well, yeah, He just part of my creation. but God's heart is just and it just is incredible to think that God would say I would marry you I would betroth you to me forever then you will know the Lord and verse 21 says and it will come about in that day that I will respond declares the Lord I will respond to the heavens and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain to the new wine to the oil and they will respond to Jezreel and I will sow her for myself in the land I will have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who are not my people, You are my people. And they will say, Thou art my God. And, oh, it's just a beautiful picture of, of God's love to us. Let's look at chapter 11 of Hosea. The Lord is speaking to Israel. And, and he really uh, sends the Father's heart of God in this and um just being a parent and having andrea now i i understand that thing a little bit more than i did before but says when israel was a was youth i loved him and out of egypt i called <coughs> excuse me i called my son the more they called them the more they went from them <coughs> and they kept sacrificing to the baals and burning incense to the idols Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love. And I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. And I bent down, and I lovingly fed them. And, well, you can just see that, you know, having, a, having Andrea, and just we're going to have the privilege of, of teaching her to walk. It's just just so exciting, like right now. You hang onto her, your hands, and you really coax her a lot. She'll take a couple steps, you know. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes we drag her and say she's walking, but <laughs> that's the privilege of fatherhood. <laughs> and you can just see God and bringing that analogy that we can understand. Since when, Eph- when Ephraim was young, I just I loved him and I taught him to walk, and we just like we grew up together, and then. I said, my son, my son, and they kept going, Ephraim, and they kept going and you can just feel God's heart as it he just said, I gave you everything. I, I blessed you and I wanted you to be my son and he went away and that's, God's still that way towards us and he's still that way and he calls for us and he wants us to know him. Psalms 139 and, and verse 1 is just so descriptive of of how God is so intimately involved in our lives. And, and how much He knows us. <coughs> it's the Psalm of David. Psalm, verse, chapter, verse 1 in Psalms 139 says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou us scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. You know, Even like we're sitting here tonight and there's thoughts going through your mind, you know, God's intimately acquainted with those thoughts right now. He knows the posture you're sitting here. He knows the attitude of your heart. He just knows this, and that's just so neat that God would really be concerned enough to know us, not just as a group. He's not saying, oh yeah, there's somebody meeting down shoulder house. But he's individually knowing each one of us. Even, there, even before, there's a word in my tongue. Behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. Who describes the pursuing love of God. If I say, Be surely, the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee, for thou dost form my inward parts. Thou dost weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful thy works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes had seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are thy thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they should outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. It's infinite, infinite thoughts that God has towards us. I'd like to read the prophecy that I handed out in the back side that's not labeled here. This is a prophecy that was given in Hawaii, and I really believe that it's it's true for us tonight as well. I loved you before you were conceived, even before you were born. I held you in my arms, even in your mother's womb I caressed your little body as it grew. I tenderly watched over you, your forming Oops, excuse me, over your forming, rejoicing and singing over you, fondling your tiny fingers and toes, your hair and your eyes. How tall you would be! I knew your smile, the sound of your laugh, the taste of your tears. Did you think that you were an accident, just a combination of cells and genes? Nothing is by accident in my creation. That is how I know you so well. You are my special child, there is none other. Like you I was there at your birth my hand guided you out of your mother's womb enveloped me you in love and my angels rejoiced at the birth of you I watched as you grew keeping you from harm how well I tended you my child waiting for you to see me standing there with love but you did not see me I called you but you did not know my voice how it hurt me just to stand there and to watch your hurt and pain. If only you could have reached out to me. How can my children forget their Creator so soon? There were times you drew close, and how I rejoiced then, ready to pour out my love on you. Then man hurt you, and you thought it was me, I who never felt anything less than love for you. So many times I stretched out my hand, sure that you would take hold of it, I said of so many circumstances, blessings, and trials of every sort. My heart yearned for you to return to me so I could hold you again as I did in your mother's room. You were a part of me so long. For so long I thought of you and how special you would be. My child, how it would please you as you graciously served me, a witness to the world of my glory. All the plans I had. and then. Because of your choices, because you knew me not, I had to stand helplessly by and watch your pain and grief. It broke my heart anew to see that pain, such needless pain, and that pain became a wall between us that had to be broken. I turned my face away and allowed Satan to send affliction after affliction against that wall. After each barrage, I thought, Surely now it will collapse, and you will turn to me. Surely now there will be nothing left. And finally there was not. I was waiting that day. You finally reached out. I was there only a hair's breadth away. As always. I met you then, my heart spilling over. I washed your filthy rags, cleansed your tiny body, and clothed you in the robes of white linen with my armor. Now I joy over you, my special one. So long I waited. Can you imagine the celebration in heaven the first time you heard my voice? The festival, the festival, the day of your baptism? Satan tests you now, but stay close to me, and you will be of, and he will be of no consequence. I know your hurts. I know every one of them. I was there, and many I kept from being even deeper than they are. But each hurt on you left an identical hurt on me. And as I heal you and you respond... My heart's hurts are healed also. Your family is a healing ointment to my heart, a heart scarred and broken since the creation of man. You are my special one in whom I create to administer healing balm to my body, for it is through the body that my heart is healed. There is a particular part of my body where the pain is nearly unbearable. That is the part that I have appointed for you. Soon I will show you where and how. Stay close to me, learn my teachings, hear my voice, heed my words, know me, for I love you. Just um one more scripture. I'd like to read is Romans eight in verse thirty or thirty one says what shall we say to these things if God is for us who is against us he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how will he also not with him freely give us all things who will bring a charge against God's elect God is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns Jesus Christ is the one who died yes rather who was raised who is at the right hand of the God who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we were overwhelmingly conquered, conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height or depth or any other created thing should be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." I think it's just so important that we really understand that because the fears that we have, the misunderstandings of God's dealing in our lives, I think they all come back to really not knowing the love of God and really not knowing that, that God is, is absolutely for us. And, and Paul prayed a prayer. And I think it's just really, really important to read it over and to pray it for yourself. Verse 14 of chapter 3 of Ephesians says, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth, and the height, and the and the length, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to power that works within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.